in 2003 or 2004, I got a call from Ed Kless because his boss at the time, Taylor McDonald, who's actually now back at Sage because Sage bought Intact. So he, it's funny how life comes full circle. So Ed calls me up out of the blue and, you know, we chit chat and we get the pleasantries aside. Yo, where do you live? Blah, blah, blah. And all that. And he tells me, I read two books this year that changed my life. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm always really curious when people say that because I take that very seriously and try and go find those books. He said, the first one was yours, The Professional's Guide to Value Pricing. Now, Ed calls that book because it's out of print and it's the old version. He calls that the Old Testament. <laughs> Implementing value pricing is the New Testament. Okay, just... and. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And he talked about you know, the views of hourly billing and versus value pricing and timesheets and all of that. And so now I, my mind immediately jumped to, well, geez, I wonder what the second book is. Who's this guy going to you know, compare me to? And the second book was Peter Block's The Answer to How is Yes. And Ed spoke a little bit about this during the Art of Value conference. But if you haven't read that book, The Answer to How is Yes by Peter Block, please read it. It's very, very philosophical. I think it's Peter Block's best writing and his best work. Uh, in fact, I told Ed after I read it that it's the book I wish I would have wrote because a lot of the same thinking is incorporated in it. It's just, it's, it's not as granular as some of our stuff. It's more, <laughs> very much more holistic. And I immediately ran down to the bookstore. This was pre-Kindle days, and I got the book, and I read it, and it just, it just blew my mind. And I thought, okay, this, this Kless guy, he's, um, he's a thinker. And then I did a webinar form, and it was an hour, hour and a half to some of the Sage partners, I believe. And when we got down to the end, I mean, there were no questions throughout this webinar. We got down to the end. Any questions? Crickets. And I felt terrible. I said, oh my God, I, I bored these people to death and I, I blew it. I, I, it didn't, I wasn't relevant to their industry. I, you know, they didn't see any value here. And I, I got off the line, immediately called Ed. I said, look, this webinar bombed. I feel like crap. Uh, I, I want to come and make it up. I want to come and do a live talk to that group. And luckily they had a meeting in Atlanta, I don't know, six months, three months later or something. Well, Ed, actually, we learned, and this is a big takeaway for those of you who do a lot of public speaking, especially if you're talking on these topics, silence is golden. Silence is absolutely golden. Because if an audience is silent, you've got, you own their head. You're in their head. And the best way to determine that you're in their head is listen to the language they use. Like when they're talking at lunch and at the breaks, if they're using your language, that's it, you got them. Because that means <laughs> you're transforming their world if you're transforming their language. So anyway, long story short, Ed and I start working together, doing Firm of the Futures. I mean, we've traveled the world together. And, and there's a whole nother dimension to Ed and I's relationship besides just the radio show and the work that we do for Verisage. I mean, I, we constantly talk politics all the time. And as you know, Ed's a libertarian and I'm a conservative, 
I actually think of myself as a conservatarian because <laughs> I, I lean 80%, maybe 90% libertarian. But so we actually disagree on things. You know, we, we argue sometimes about various issues. People say we share a brain. We don't. Mine is nowhere near as good as this guy's. He has done more to bring Sage to the table and, and help them propel this movement. And he single-handedly has added dimensions to this work and taught me so much about project management and pricing. We teach together for the Professional Pricing Society. He's just a lovely guy. I, I just get emotional thinking about this relationship we've had for 14 years. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to pr present Ed Kless. Um, thanks for mentioning the block book. And just before I get started on this talk, <clears throat> I want to share with you something that I wrote down yesterday when we were having conversations. And it was very germane to what several of the presentations were talking about earlier. And it really makes you, you think, uh, especially some of the stuff that Chris was just talking about. He says, Peter Block says, this is one of the sad truths. When you professionalize care, it ceases to be care. When you professionalize care, it ceases to be care. And the example of paying your mother-in-law for Thanksgiving dinner, right? So we're always on the edge, right? We can say we care, but when you professionalize care, in a way, it's no longer care. Because if it's real deep care, it would be offensive to be paid for it, in a way. And I think that's one of the dichotomies that we have to keep in our brain about that stuff. But I'm a content junkie, and I think I'm about to overdose. <laughs> you guys have been fantastic sharing what you have with all of us, but I, I want to share something that was given to me actually by a Sage colleague, Jennifer Warwa, once asked me to pinch hit for her at a session that she was doing for accountants. And she's, she says, don't worry, it's, it's like it was two days from now or something, but don't worry, I can send you my deck. Have you ever tried to present somebody else's? That, so that wasn't happening. So I took the title of the talk, which was Innovation Beyond Technology, and I stripped it all of about three slides, and then I put my own stuff in. And, you know, in a very, tried to, to skirt around the, what, what was in her description, because that was not at all what I was doing, but at least the title was close. So this is, this is innovation beyond technology. But the first thing I want to share with you is this whole content thing. Uh, there's a, a philosopher that I, I encountered in the last six months or so, in his name, uh, Michel de Montaigne. And he was kind of this meta, meta philosopher. He, he was a philosopher about philosophy. <laughs> so he studied other, so he like, he like freaks out at a very high level, right? And his dying declaration, his, uh, his dying declaration after dedicating his entire life to the study of philosophy was this, que sais-je, which means what do I know? What do I know? And, and I'm truly humbled to say, what do I know? Uh, with all of the material that you folks have shared over the last couple of days, and I'm looking forward to the, the guest talks as well this afternoon after lunch, because the same thing I'm sure will be true and pick up more tidbits and more stuff that I know I don't know. So thank you for that. Um, 
I'm going to talk about innovation beyond technology because most people, especially today, when we hear about innovation, we think immediately technology. We think Apple. We think cloud. We think all of these wonderful things that have graced our lives. But sometimes innovation is just the forging of two ideas together. Top Golf was a great example of innovation. Yes, there's a technology component, right? The RFID chip, but just the concept. Of, that they put together, it, it was just absolutely amazing. So technology enabled it, but it was the fusion of ideas. When I had two kids, where was this sucker? Right? You know, stick the skateboard on the side of the, <laughs> the carriage, and away you go, so I don't have to yell at my son all the time for hanging on. Right? So it was a wonderful, beautiful thing. So these are just some innovations that we, we can see. And what I want to share with you is this, is that this guy, Werner Earhart, weird dude. I mentioned S the other day. Do we have any Americans fans watch the show The Americans other than Ron? Okay, yeah. So The Americans is kind of a subplot of that whole Est thing, right? And Verna, S did for uh, Earhart Seminar Training or something like that. And th there's a subplot in the, in the show Americans about this. This is a weird dude, but he has lots of really interesting things to say, and this is one of them. He says, look, all transformation is linguistic. If you want to change your culture, we need to change the conversation. This is, of course, what in the other show that I talk about, Mad Men, what Don Draper does all of the time. He changes the conversation. He changes the language. And that's what he does. Here's a great example, perhaps the greatest example. This is what uh, economist Deidre McClowski calls the great enrichment. This is her explanation for why the Industrial Revolution happened. And she says it has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to do with piling brick upon brick in, in, uh, in, in capital accumulation or in the steam engine or any one invention. She says, no, what happened somewhere in the, the Netherlands and England around 1800 is we started giving honor and dignity to the entrepreneur. And since that time, since 1800, this is the per capita income of all of these continents. You can see the US, uh, or it's probably North, North America, I'm sorry, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Japan, China, and we're all on this trajectory. This only goes to, through 2001. If you extend this out, you realize that the number of people who have exited poverty in the last 20 years has been over a, a billion people. There are more people alive, or there, there are fewer people in poverty today than there were in 1800, and we have seven, or seven trillion people on the planet now, right? So despite what you hear in the media, things are getting better. There has never been a better time to be alive on this planet and be a human being. You are less likely, despite shootings all over the place, of being killed by another human being. You are less likely to die of famine. You are less likely to die in a war, and you are less likely to die of any disease. I've often said I would rather be alive today than have my salary today the year I was born, which was 1966. I'd be an extraordinarily wealthy person, relatively, top 0.1% probably. But think about what we would not have access to. I would not make that trade. And I certainly wouldn't go back 100 years even. No access to antibiotic. A hundred years ago, a, a sitting president lost a son to a staph infection. Right? 
But here's what I want to share. You want to change your language? Here's some suggested language changes. And this is courtesy all of the conversations I've had with Verisage fellows and guests over the course of the year. So I'm just going to make, you probably heard these, but these are the, these are the KPIs that Ron was talking about. These are the, these are the things that we both listen for uh, at lunch breaks and at dinner conversations when we talk to people. So the first one, training versus education. And I, heard, I, I still hear people at Verisage use this all of the time, training, training, training. Mr. Morris is not here. But his great line, which I think is so important, there's a big difference between training and education. Do you want to send your 16-year-old daughter to sex training or sex education class? <laughs> right? Training has a moral component. Training is of higher value. Don't, I mean, sorry, education is of higher value. It's got a moral component to it. Right? Education is higher. You can, you can charge a higher price for product education, whatever kind of education that you're giving, not training. Right? Of course, this one bears not repeating fee, billing, rate, but we're listening for price, right? It's them to start to say price. Discount, never use the word discount. Preferred price, promotional price. I think there's a little bit of a difference between those two. A promotional price has a specific expiration date on it. It's a promotional price. A preferred price is a price that you give to a customer in the long term. Hey, listen, you're, you're, you're getting a preferred price because you've been a customer of ours for so long or for some reason, right? Preferred price. So eliminate the word discount. One of my favorites, of course, get rid of the word client. Strike the word client. They are a customer, not a client. Here's why. Um, as some of you know, my dad taught Latin. And one of the things that we would often do around the Kless family household at dinner, and I'm not kidding, it was like that, you never see my big fat Greek wedding? You ever see that movie? Right? Remember the running gag? Give me a word and I'll tell you how the origin is Greek. Remember he would like, he would throw like all of this stuff like orange, <laughs> and he would come up with all this convoluted explanation. It was sort of like that in my house, only Latin. Right? My dad would say, well, you know the origin of the word mortgage, don't you? It's a concatenation of two Latinisms, mortgage, M-O-R-T, death, and gage, meaning pledge. A mortgage is a death pledge. <laughs> Makes sense now. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Right? Well, the interesting meaning of the, of the word client is one who leans, a leaner, incline, decline are all other words that begin with the same Latin root. It's one who leans. Because back in ancient times, you lawyers weren't, a weren't able to charge anything for your services. You had to provide them for free. Whether the person was a plaintiff or a defendant, it didn't matter. You had to do it for free. <laughs> right? And what you would do is you would fix the one who leans. You know, the, they had too much at the Bacchiavellian festival and were in the vomitorium to, all night, you know? We had to fix them. We had, they were leaning against the wall. We had to fix them. And every year, we had to fix them. And I talked to accountants and bookkeepers as well. That's the relationship I had. Every year, I got to come out, and I've got to fix them because they're leaning. I got to fix them. Right? They're still leaning. And that may be true. That may be true. But is that the kind of relationship you want? Or do you want a customer relationship, which is an Anglo-Saxon word, which means, obviously, one whose custom it is to engage with you? Right? Change the language in your firm. Start talking about customers, not clients. It falls hard on the ears. You're like, no, we call them clients. We're lawyers, damn it. I know. Make the change. 
Make it, make it hard on your ears. That's what will change the conversation inside your firm. And I'm going to let's go quickly through this change order, change request. I talked a little bit about this. Let's get, a let's get rid of staff. How about just colleagues? Everyone's a colleague. This is a change that Stephen Kelly at Sage made. He came in to, to Sage about two and a half years ago and said that we're no longer associates. But everyone is a colleague. If you introduce me as CEO, it's my colleague Stephen Kelly. Right? And it is filtered throughout the organization. He changed the culture by changing the language. Right? Of course, there's efficiency, effectiveness, better efficaciousness. I know. We're going to say efficacious to a customer? Yes, you are. Why? Because then you have to explain it. And you have to say that efficacious means achieving the maximum possible benefit. Like drugs are efficacious. Viagra achieves the maximum possible benefit. <laughs> Right? Efficaciousness. And if I could leave you with this last one, and this is certainly courtesy our fellow who was not able to make it, uh, Daryl Golem, stop worrying about your time capacity and instead focus on your emotional capacity. How much capacity do you have from an emotional standpoint? Do you ever have that call, phone call at 9 o'clock in the morning and you're done? Right? And you're done, and it's like, oh, Facebook, here I come. <laughs> right? Manage that emotional capacity. It's, uh, what I'm finding is far better to schedule any and all meetings with customers in the morning and in the afternoon, do, do stuff that you know is, is, more logic work, uh, is more logic work than magic work. Right? Do the more mundane stuff in the afternoon. In the morning, preserve that time for your high emotional capacity. Change the culture by changing your language. Thanks.